Hello. Hello, Merlin. How are you today? I'm very well, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. Everything is... Cock uh, up the walk. Everything's perfect here. Hmm. That sounds suspicious. <laughs> How are you? Not perfect. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. One step. Oh, no, I, no I, I'm fine. I think, you know, I'm Zen like chocolate, man. Oh, nice. I'm always in the zone. The old days. I'm always in the zone and not in the zone. Yeah. Like chocolate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 How's your morning there? You doing good? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I feel like it, I. you always think if you wake up early, even by accident, that if you wake up early, that somehow you'll have extra time and you can, you can do one or two extra little things. But anytime that I do that, if I wake up a little early, I find I'm actually wind up being later. And I don't know why, I don't know how that happens, but that's what happens. That's, that sounds very difficult to explain. It's like closets though. You always find a way to fill them up. Yeah. So like if I, so like here's a, normally I wake up at six and Today, for some reason, before the alarm, 5.45, I just woke up. And I, in a way, I was like, oh, this is good because I'm up a little bit early. I'll wind up being early. So instead of rushing at the end, I will be like, I'll have some luxury time. I'll maybe be able to sit and drink a little bit of coffee at the breakfast table instead of just going through the motions of everything that I need to do to get out the door at 7. But... I was actually like five minutes late. I don't know how that happens, but it happens every time that I wake up early. You've talked before, I think on your program with John Roderick about how you have what you regard as an uncanny sense of what time it is. Oh yeah. Down uh-huh. to like the, I, I think I have something very similar. I'm not sure. It might be an availability heuristic because I only kind of mentally reward myself when I get it right. But I wonder if that throws off your system. If you're, if you're, if you're essentially throwing out your intuitive ability to know what time it is because it's darker out because you know you've got more time. I wonder if you're less harried uh, and somehow that makes you, uh, you know, less uh, intuitive about the time. And then you feel rushed. I absolutely think you're onto something there. I woke up at 5.30. I woke up early today. I, I don't like that. I don't usually get up that early. For a reason a or very, your mind just woke up? No, I had a reason. I had a very long and complicated dream about Anne Hathaway. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was not a simple dream. And like most of my dreams, I woke up uh, feeling very, very uh, guilty. And... Uh, so I figured I should get up and have some coffee, get a shower, wash it off. Yeah, clean yourself. We, we went to Princeton together. You and I? Uh, no, no, and, and Hathaway. And oh. I, in, in, in the dream. In the dream. Okay. We had a very rocky relationship. It was my fault. It was my fault. I'll admit that. Yeah. I couldn't get into Princeton. I've only been to uh, New Jersey uh, <laughs> maybe twice. I, I couldn't, couldn't find it on a map. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was my morning. <laughs> I've been having lots of really, uh, really strange dreams about dark-haired women. I think I might be turning into Ron Swanson. I enjoy a good breakfast. Do you, do you watch Parks and Rec, Dan? Do you, have you started watching that program yet? No, I've never. I, I know the character you're referring to and that he, mm-hmm. li- he likes mead and other things. So I, li- I like the character. I've seen him do other things in that character. But I watched the first few episodes of the show and we, I think we've talked about how if the first few episodes don't grab you, then you, you know, if you don't have a lot of a chorus of people saying, give it a chance, give it time. Sure. Then you, yeah, you walk yeah. and I walk. Well, here's me in uh, Jason Snell talking about Buffy mode. And I don't do a very good Jason Snell voice, but um, yeah, this first season's not that good. Well, you got to stick with it. 
He doesn't actually say, Wah. but you know, that's just my impersonation. Right. But no, the first seasons, I think the first season is very entertaining. It's more entertaining once you watch the other ones, but I don't want to commit you to, se- I don't want to commit you to seven seasons of a program, but you know, we watch an episode, episode or two of it at night and it's, uh, it's really, it's really quite good. It's good. It's good. You, you care about the characters. Like some people like that show, The Office, the US show, and yeah. I liked it okay. But, you know, if you, it's the same people. It's Greg Daniels, right? It's that guy who used to be on The Simpsons. And, uh, and uh, it's a really good show. That's all I have to say about that. Right. I don't know why Princeton. I could never get into Princeton. No, where did she go? Did, did Anne Hathaway, didn't she go to like an Ivy League school? Uh, well, in the, you know, the extensive research that I've done uh, on Hathaway. Uh, I'm searching and- for her right now. Apparently she is in my search history. Uh, this is something I've looked at before. Mm-hmm. Age 32. Um, college. Oh, look at that. She did a women's study minor at, at Vassar. Uh, she went to Vassar uh, and the uh, American Academy of Dramatic Arts, but no, no Princeton. Like, oh, you know what? She did go. She, uh, she performed in plays at West Orange, uh, New Jersey. I think she's she from New Jersey. She's from Brooklyn, where Marco lives. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, early morning. <laughs> so big week. Big week. Yes. Um, we have, I think we have some things we want to talk about this week, don't we? I sure do. It's kind of sort of a continuation of our convert. Oh God, here we go. You hear that? What is that? The construction still? It's a mini bike. Like a, like a, like a little, like a little, it's almost like a child's motorcycle that, that's someone in my building. Mo- around, like a around. moped? No, no, it's not as cool as a moped. No, it's, 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 it's more like a, a neutered motorcycle. It's a, sm- it's like a, ch- <laughs> it's like a, remember mini bikes? You don't remember mini bikes? Vaguely. It's yeah, like, it looks like a BMX of- bike with like a motor strapped to the side of it. No, no, no. But you remember that famous photo in the Guinness book of the world's heaviest twins? Remember those twins and they were riding a little tiny motorcycle? Sure. Yeah. It's kind of like a clown bike. Yeah, anyway, really- he has that. He he likes to work on it. <laughs> I guess I guess when you have a mini bike, you work on it. He leaves. Uh, uh, God bless him. He leaves between eight thirty and nine every morning, as he just did. And uh, then sometimes on a Tuesday night, when I'm recording with John Syracuse, he just revs his engine for a little while. He rides around the block. He comes back. He revs the engine some more. And he and his friend have some beers. <clears throat> it's a tough city to live in. So I think we have some things to talk about. You have a new you have a new acquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we still have, I think, lots to say about iOS nine the new iPhones. And in your case now you have a new, did you get an iPad air too? I did. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I mean, first of all, I've had iPads before, so this is not my first foray into this. And the iPad that I had, this is not your your first iPad rodeo. That's right. (laughs) And I had an iPad air, which I liked. And I gave to my son when his games, which are many, filled up all of the storage space that was on, I think his, he had a retina iPad before that he's eight, almost eight. And the games filled up all the space. And I got tired of every time he wanted the new game, having to delete the old one. And I said, you know, I'm not using my iPad that much. Let me give it to him. And I had tried that experiment. I forget what episode we were on when we talked about it a little bit where I told you that my goal would be to just have an iPad and bring that around and have my desktop machine at work and iPad for everything else. And this was iOS. I feel like it was iOS seven time period maybe, but I, uh, I, I thought I wouldn't miss the iPad, but I started to really miss it after a very, very short period of time. And I didn't realize how much I was using it, but then iOS nine came out and I got the iPhone 6s and we talked about that last week our our new phone experiences and 
I had been selling off some old uh, older equipment, and I realized that there was now place uh, for me to try that iPad again. And I knew how much you liked yours. I knew that I didn't want an iPad Pro because I don't need something quite that size. And I wanted to make the jump. And you said, you sure love yours. You should try it. And so I was already pretty much there. And so I did. And what a completely different experience it has been for me with the iPad Air 2 and iOS 9 and El Capitan on the desktop and an iPhone 6S and that ecosystem that's in place. I'm completely blown away by the experience. It's one of the best devices I think I've ever owned and yes. certainly one of the best that Apple's ever made. And I'm I want to talk about away. this. Yeah. I would totally love to talk about this. And I, I did I did just a, a very, very small bit of preparation. Not in the amount that you would notice. Like no cards? No, I did some bullets. Okay. I got uh, I don't know, maybe 15 bullets here. They're very small bullets. They're really more like BBs. <laughs> um, can we, can we uh, uh, do some uh, fo- uh, fake, fake follow-up to start? Yeah. Over? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to credit uh, listener Chris with uh, last name withheld with uh, emailing us and uh, you seemed happy about this he was telling you how to remove your bing results if you don't want bing mm-hmm. <laughs> on your on your if you don't want bing to be binged on your uh what's that thing called the the smart screen to the yeah. left what do yep. you call it yeah that's smart screen to the left smart screen to the left <laughs> that's a registered trade right trade trademark um and so uh, listener Chris points out, and I think this is actually kind of interesting and I, I don't know enough about this to I- explain how and why this works but uh, listening to Cortex uh, with uh, with Mike Curley and CGP Gray, I, I picked up that you can turn off all kinds of almost everything by shutting off spotlight suggestions. But if you, that will get rid of news, which is super annoying. Um, you know, all those news headlines you don't want to see. Like, what's that? Why, why would I want to see that? Why would I want to see news headlines when I'm using my phone? It's so odd. But if you shut, the problem is if you turn off spotlight suggestions, it turns off like all kinds of spotlight suggestions. It's basically like a big hammer coming down. So you may not want to, if you can tolerate the news headlines, I would keep that on. Well, you can get it, you can absolutely control at a granular level what shows up. So you go to settings, general, spotlight search, and then under search results, all of your apps will be listed there from, you know, I see under there one password and activity and the airport utility is there, American Airlines app store. Well, if you go down to, uh, in my case, Bing Web Results, which is not an app that I've installed. However, it it's there. I turned that off. But they, also I noticed that, and I don't know if this would control the news that you're talking about or not, but the news app is also listed there. And yeah. perhaps turning that off would kill the news? I don't know. Nope. Um, mm. The best way, a better a better label, if they had room for it, would be Spotlight Search Results. Right. So that is not that is not governing per se, like what shows up when you you know flip over to the right, right. or to the left. I guess when you flip you know right to left to make the left dingus show up. Um, those are all just saying when you do a search here, what results do you want to see? So all that does, if you shut off news, regrettably, all that does is shut off the news app that nobody uses. So that you just won't see the things that you never put in there. But uh, now there's no way to turn off the headlines thing, which I, you know I have to mention at some point they'll add that in. That feels so crufty to me. Do you know what I mean? I mean I, really I would does. much rather have. I would rather uh, get that junk out of there and let me say like, okay, like, you know, maybe here's a kind of app or notification that I like always show me my next task or my next reminder or my next, you know, any of that kind of stuff in there. But um, anyhow, that's, that's what we know so far. It's a very young thing. This is very new. Um, But that's, that's one way to make that better. If you just can't handle it at all and just don't want to look at it, you can shut off the, 
what is it called? Spotlight. Not Siri Suggestions. Is that the name of the thing? Is that what it's called? I thought there's a, what's the what? Pro, it's called, see, this is so confusing. There's also Proactive. And Proactive, is Proactive the name of the screen or is it the name of the governing technology that guesses stuff you'll want to know about? <laughs> no, no, because seriously, if you know. go, well, no, that, that's the whole deal where if you uh, go into the thingy, like you'll see in my case, I see breakfast, coffee, convenience stores, gas. I've already got gas, am I right? Up here. Um, but uh, it'll guess stuff based on time. And, and, you know, like, for example, you're my number one series suggestion right now because you're somebody that I've texted with recently. So, I mean, I don't, this is not exposed to us, but the story goes, I think according to the keynote thing, that the proactive feature is guessing, guessing or sort of speculating on people, events, types of things you might want to know about based on things like where you are, what the time of day is, uh, I'm guessing who you who obviously like who you who you talk to a lot will show up there, and the story goes, and I don't, I don't have any way to prove this, but it will show you things based on who you who you contact and what you do around certain times of day, and I have not personally seen this or noticed this a lot yet. I mean, the obvious one, obviously, if it's if it's eight forty six in the morning in San Francisco, good morning, it'll say breakfast because it's kind of the breakfast time. Um, but I think what they're—I I mean, I think what what they're trying to get is something like the Google app on, you know, iPhone and iPad, which is pretty clever about saying like, well, here's stuff you might be interested in based on recent searches. I mean, do you ever use that? Do you ever use the Google app? Yeah, I've used it a lot. I mean, when I was experimenting more with the Android side of things, I used it a lot. I didn't like the idea, and I think we talked about this just a little, so I don't want to overdo it. But I don't really like the idea that Google is tracking all of that information and storing all of it. And Apple does a really good job of keeping that private. And even when you request directions, like it only saves part of it and all of that. So I did, but I did use it, but I found that I was frequently turning it off just because I was, I'm paranoid. Yeah, no, I understand. <clears throat> but it does, and when you, uh, I think they call it Google now on yep, Android. That's that it. Right. And it's just the app called Google. Um, but it's pretty neat when you open it up, it'll do stuff like, Based on location, in my case, it'll suggest like nearby places I can pick up the train. Uh, it automatically grabs um, like shipping information about deliveries, which is kind of cool. And if you have events on your calendar, your Google Calendar, it'll say things like, okay, it's time to leave for this place. You need to be in a certain amount of time. I think that's what they're shooting for. I think it's a great idea. And as you say, I have not read widely or researched this a lot, but it sounds like the stuff Apple's doing to really try and protect your privacy slash near anonymity is really, it's really, it's pretty amazing. Like you just described, and you, 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 I think you already said this, but when you're traveling somewhere, like there's a, like a token or an ID associated with your trip and like partway through the trip, it changes it to another ID randomly. Is that right? Yeah, and it's constantly, so there. It, I don't know if it's per trip or if it's every trip, but periodically and on a very regular basis, it will change these IDs so that Apple doesn't really know which person you were. There's no way for them to know that, oh, Merlin went from this place, which, by the way, is his office, to this place, which is the sandwich shop. They don't know that. They know that an ID requested directions from one place to another We've now already forgotten with the origin point. We now only know the destination. So it, it's very smart about that. And that's because Apple isn't about 
storing this data. This is not what's in, important for them. What's important for them is selling us iPhones, basically. So they, right, they want right. to make that experience great, but whereas Google doesn't have that much to sell to us, so it sells, it sells us and our information, and that's what it's mining. So a very different kind of motivation there. I wish Google embraced that more and it would because I liked that app. That was one of the things that I thought was really interesting and neat. Uh, But that's how we get that kind of notification on our iPhones that we're 18 minutes from home. Like it it understands that, you know what, it's about five o'clock. You might be going home right now. And here's with current traffic, how long it might take you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and, you know, I don't personally want to get on too deep a dive about the differences i mean we can always that can that could be a whole show you know talking about those kinds of, of differences yeah but i think that one distinction to make and boy i hope apple can keep this up and i hope that this is true but there's sort of like almost like these four levels to when you think about things like security privacy tracking and that kind of stuff on the one one hand you've got people saying uh yeah we do this like what we do is track your stuff like that's and so there are increasingly very few places that are that totally transparent about saying we absolutely do this. We are tracking this. I mean, how many? I, they were talking about this on um, Marco and Gruber were talking this, about this on the talk show this week. I mean, setting aside all the content blocking on web stuff, like, do you have any idea how much of apps that there's no way to stop, let alone know about? And that's rarely exposed. I mean, I guess there's probably places you could go, but there's not. For example, there's not a unified sort of privacy statement about what kind of stuff is captured and for what reason. So on the one hand, at the top level, you've got the people who are decent enough to be transparent about saying, yeah, we are doing this. We are transparent about saying we are tracking the living crap out of your stuff. Right. But then there's that, I think there's this much bigger next level, which is we might be tracking some stuff, maybe. And that's where you get into like what Gruber talked about why he's getting rid of analytics. Because if you go and read the terms for Google Analytics, it's not transparently clear what they're gathering from your uh, site visitors for what reasons. That, that's a huge piece of this. You go a little further down the stack and you get, well, the truth is we, we don't do that. We don't, we don't track you on purpose, but we have to disclose that we could track you. In other words, if we got like a, you know, I don't know, like a, like a warrant or whatever, like we, we, that, that is something we, we could potentially be able to do. I don't know if this is accurate for Apple, but I think the, the, the brass ring here is to say, it's not that we are doing this. It's not that we might be doing this. It's not that we could be doing this, but the fourth option, which is that we can't do this. Like it would be really cool to get to a place where they're deliberately anonymizing this in a way that they actually they don't have a dependable way to track you. I wonder if that's where they're heading. And I'm sorry, that was kind of convoluted. But there's a big difference. You know, those middle, those little mushy middle areas are what so many sites. That's one reason people don't like all these trackers. It's like, what are you doing with all that information? Why am I seeing underwear ads on every web page? That seems really strange. So I wonder if that's part of it is Apple's getting to a place where, you know, it might be kind of inconvenient to update your iPhone. You're going to have to enter a lot of passwords again and so forth. That obviously is still kind of an unsolved problem. But I bet they want to get to a point where it's like, we, we can't, actually can't track this in any dependable way. Right. And I think they want that. I definitely think they want it. I want it. And the other thing that I saw a lot, I actually tweeted late yesterday I asked people who were following me on Twitter what they thought about you know, I guess their feelings about skipping through podcast, podcast ads, ads right? Yeah. Versus, uh, versus blocking content or ads on web pages. And a lot of people, when they responded, and I got some really, really amazing feedback, a lot of which 
uh, I was expecting, but a lot of, that also surprised me as far as people, who, how many people, first of all, don't skip ads, but second, the people who do, they do it for two reasons. And I, we could do a whole show on this, I think, too. But the main reason that people skip an ad is either the ad is completely irrelevant to them. For example, you know, they would really like a new mattress, but the company does not ship to uh, Australia. So they skip that ad. It's irrelevant to them. Uh, and the other is more like a, a misconception that they think that they don't need to listen to the ads or visit the websites or anything like that because we get paid either way because we're paid based on downloads. And I said, well, that's interesting because we're actually sponsors only come back if a show performs. And anyway, that's a whole separate topic. But it yeah. occurred to me that one of the universal reason that people gave me as far as blocking ads is is obviously ads that are very obtrusive that come down over the screen and take over the whole screen. That, of course, is is something no one likes. But people are saying, you know what, the trackers, we remove them because of performance. And this goes back to your comment, which is, yeah, we wonder what what are people doing? Like, what are these things tracking? And where is that information going and who's using it? But at the same time, we're paying a penalty for that. Our downloads are slower. We're downloading a page that's a meg in size to display some text on a screen on our mobile device because of all these trackers and all this JavaScript and all this nonsense. And we're actually paying a price for being tracked and data being mined on us that we don't want, you know, but we're having to pay for it in downloads. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, we should save it for another show, but, yeah. um, I mean, I, I just, I, I wonder how many people would write you back and say, yes, I always, I listen to all your shows and I skip all the ads. Like who would say that? It's, it's a little going to be a combination of self-selecting bias and like a little bit of like, most people are going to say, of course, Dan, I never skip your ads because then you wouldn't like them as much on Twitter. Right. Don't you think people are going to be a little bit circumspect about what they actually report? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would think so. I think I think people feel um, I don't know probably guilty or ashamed about those kinds of things or like you know or they they wouldn't want to admit it. I do agree with you though. I mean I think there is I don't, I don't want to get too embroiled in this because I'm just so tired of hearing about it. But I mean there is a big difference between like an ad that shows up somewhere that you can choose to ignore if you want versus the surfeit of pop-ups that you get when you go to a site. Somebody posted a link yesterday. Somebody on my Twitter list posted something where. They were on the unsubscribe page or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to, to go in and enter your email to take me off your mailing list. And they got a pop up to join the mailing list while they were on the unsubscribe page. <laughs> well, that, you know, at that point, you kind of have to ask, like, are you, are y'all thinking this through? You know, it's, you know, it's just, it's strange to me because, like, I don't know. Um, there's a, there's a funny kind of paradox. God, this is boring. There's a funny kind of paradox to this, which is that I, if, if there's something that I do or a site that I visit enough, and ha- that it has an enhanced experience, I probably already have the app for that. And I have to say, there are very, very few, very specific kinds of apps that I have. I think for a lot of people, you got your Facebooks, you got your Instagrams, you got your Twitters, your Tumblrs, and that kind of stuff. Um, there are not very many single purpose, like per site or per property, per publisher apps that I use. And so one thing that happens is, a lot of times, my introduction to a website is to visit somebody's page from a link. So my first run experience on their site, and I'm not trying to mean to be customer service guy here, but it is kind of off-putting for your first visit to that site to be that as soon as you've read the headline, something pops up, either demanding that you dismiss this giant ad or, or basically demanding or requesting heavily that you download their app. 
it's, I understand, I think, why you do that. Cause who knows? People probably accidentally hit the links and then go to the pay, go to the app store and then, and then put in there. Maybe that happens, but like, that's a weird first run experience. So it seems like to me, like it'd be way smarter to wait until somebody's had, you know, three plus page views over 15 minutes to ask that. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Like, the same kind of thing is like, you know, you, you first download an app and the first thing that pops up is if you want to rate the app. Well, no, I, I, I don't want to rate the app. I just got the app. It's like, it's like that waiter that comes up to your table and asks you how everything's going, even though they can tell that you haven't started eating your food yet. It's like, that's not smart. That's not, that's not good customer service. Anyway, uh, yeah, there's still a lot of grenades rolling around. A lot of interesting stuff still to come out. But anyway, back to that page, which we'll, we'll call, I guess, the proactive uh, lefty slidey page. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think it's, a, it's a very interesting thing. And part of what I want to get to once we get into the meat of this is talking more um, about a, a fairly paradigmatic shift in how I'm using these devices now, particularly like if there's a 3D touch way to get there, that's how I'm going to get there. And what I want to talk about eventually is like how much more stuff you can and probably should be using Siri for, especially if you have a success or a success plus. But um, I guess I just also want to say thank you to uh, listener Chris last name withheld for how to remove Bing results. Um, oh, I you know what? Um, uh, so uh, if, may I continue? This yes, is, I only got a couple do. more. Oh. Uh, last week uh, I used the holder phrase "Ahoy telephone" <laughs> um, to substitute for uh, what we normally use to get the Siri assistant to listen to us. I want, everybody's crediting me, not everybody, several people said, that's really funny, Merlin. I want to credit Mike Hurley for that. I got it from uh, listening to Upgrade with him and Jason Snell. Because on the, I think the very first time they talked about Siri, phones were just flying all over the place going off, you know, with people doing the, and so they, they use uh, a Hawaii telephone for that. And I think I just wanted to credit Mike for that. Um, it is annoying when that happens. <laughs> Have you had that happen? You're listening to a podcast and your phone goes off? Only recently because I never had that turned on on any iOS device that I had ever. So this is the first time having the success that it that it's on. And yeah, I've done it. But I mean, use headphones, I guess, is the only way to get around it. You know, but like if you're playing it in your car and your phone's sitting there and you're driving, <laughs> it's a problem. Right, like, like you would never want to say, for example, hey, Siri, Google Rick Astley, never going to give you up. Yes. <laughs> anyway, that's the first and last time I will ever do that. Mm-hmm. Um you see what I did there? Yes. Did you really, really see what I did there? Yes, I really did. Okay. Oh, I should do the other one too. Alexa, play Never Gonna Give You Up. <laughs> Alexa, stop. <laughs> you see, it's nice um, of you to turn, to turn it off for them. Sauce for the goose, sauce for the gander. <laughs> so, yes, oh, hey, telephone. God, that was obnoxious. Leave that in, please. Oh, tr- um, sure. I also just want to admit, you know what? Why don't I write this down? Doctor Who is good. I wrote down four words. Doctor Who is good. This season of Doctor Who is pretty good. I, all, the three episodes that have been on this season so far are really good. I realize you're not a big Doctor Who person. Most people who are Doctor Who people are already Doctor Who people. I was a little shaky on especially the first half of last season. I just wanted to mention in passing, our family is really enjoying this season of Doctor Who. That's just all I wanted to say about that. What, do you have any new shows? It's uh, Dan, it's new TV season. Are you excited about any of the new programs? Um, I started watching Homeland on Sunday and I feel like the hacking scene was so bad. Uh, it was maybe the worst hacking scene I've seen in a long time. And Mr. Robot being so good and so accurate. And as we've talked about a lot, and as I talked about on, on binge worthy, 
Uh, it's such a great show, technically accurate and so refreshing that then you see something like this, which is Hollywood's sad, lame excuse for this is what it looks like to be hacked. I wish our systems actually just had like a scrolling display that when you're being hacked, you know mm-hmm. it because it's reporting to you live just which files are being stolen in real time. That would be so handy. Thanks, <laughs> Homeland, for that. We that you know what a handy tool right. they've come up with over at the CIA or whatever foundation they're at now. And it's, display us. <laughs> you can say print be, print being hacked. <laughs> yes. Show show files being stolen in real time. It was so dash, bad. Dash, dash V. Yeah. So bad. And, and I just, and the guy looks up. He's like. 1,238 files were so... It's just so bad. It's just so bad. Uh, well, okay. So did you watch the last season of Homeland? Yeah, I did. Uh, for better, for worse. Uh, I yeah. did. I watched the whole thing. Did you? <laughs> um, yeah, I just I keep watching it. And that's why it's the, the first episode of this season is a, it's a gift compared to previous ones. It felt more grown up. I think that you're right. And I actually just added a link to uh, Ars Technica uh, article from today called I'm No Expert. But holy crap, the hacking on Homeland was bad. Yeah, it was really, really bad. It was just the worst. It was one of the worst things I've I've seen in forever. And you know, and I, I love that. I love that the document naming convention is like secret agreement with Germans dot doc. Like that's the that's their naming convention. And the, but the head, that was the head. Is I'm no expert, but holy crap, the hacking on Homeland was bad. The deck is just the quote. There's a, there's a zero day defect on his firewall. So there's bad. a zero day defect on this firewall well anyway i i thought it was apart from that MacGuffin that got the the you know plot rolling big MacGuffin. but uh i thought it was i thought it was good quinn was but, using a lot of bronzer it seemed mm, mm. oh i like quinn i like that guy yeah i like when he was uh holed up at the uh at the motel at the motel with that lady with, yeah that was good hanging out having some drinks who doesn't want to do that take a break for a few months you know, if you are out, no spoilers, but if you are out and you've been a hired killer and you, you've really hurt a lot of innocent people, you're going to want to hole up in a hotel with, with a lady who runs the place and has some drinks by the pool. Yeah. That just makes sense. That's just, you know, have some you time. Just have some Quinn time. Yeah, she's, mm. she's drinking by the pool at 2 a.m. No one can kick her out. Keep it in mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, okay, so enough about TV, I guess. We have a lot to talk about today. Dan, would you like to tell me first about something that you like? I would like to tell you about something that I like, and I know it's something that you like. It's Slack. What is Slack? People keep coming up to me on the streets, and they're like, what is Slack? Slack is a messaging app for teams. It brings all of your communication at work into one place, integrating with tools and services you use, but it makes it fun. That's their whole mission Make people's lives simpler, more pleasant, more productive, and to be honest, a lot more fun. We have a Slack for uh, for five by five Patreon supporters. We have a flat, a, a Slack, and a Slack for a Slack. All, all of the five by five hosts to go into, and producers and people like that to talk about shows and scheduling and things like that. And then I'm in a couple of other Slacks from people who are doing even more serious things, like getting work done, and it's wonderful. And I'll tell you. They have done all of these little integrations. So you've got Dropbox integration, GitHub integration, Trello integration, MailChimp, Google Drive, Hangouts, all of this stuff that's built in. So one of the cool things for me when I'm working uh, on on like something with another developer and you want to just drop some code and say, what, what am I doing wrong here? You put in the three little back 
ticks, back quotes, and just type your code and close it. And then boom, it's formatted right there in the thing. You want to show a screenshot, just drag the screenshot into the window. They've got an app, they've got a website, they've got mobile apps so you can get notifications on the go. I use this on my phone, my iPad, my computer. Like it's, and the fun part of it is there's an ATX built uh, Slack here in Austin. So people all around designers, developers are talking about different things. You can talk about like, you know, everything they have like a tacos and a barbecue chat room that are really fun. And people are sharing reactions. It has Jiffy integration so that you can drop in like uh, an animated <laughs> gift to react to something. Someone says it's all of this stuff, but there's a lot of serious integration stuff too. Like we mentioned and here they surveyed their customers regarding the impact Slack has on their teams and 30, here's, here's what they got back. 32% productivity increase, 48.6% reduction in internal email, 25.1% fewer meetings. This is real. It's not just fun, but it has a direct impact on your ability to get work done. And it's fantastic. And I love it. And I don't know where it's been my whole life. And I'm glad that it's here. And if you want to try it out, go to slack.com slash back to work, slack.com slash back to work, create a new team. And you'll get a $100 credit that you can use when you decide to upgrade to a paid plan. Because they've got a free plan. You can do a bunch of stuff. When you get serious, upgrade to the paid. Save 100 bucks. Slack.com slash back to work. Thank you to Slack for supporting 5 by 5 and back to work. And you, you're a big Slack fan. I don't even... I, honestly, I, I don't know where to begin. Um, I, I don't want to be biased uh, about sponsors, but I really like Slack a lot. And I actually, I got uh, some people I work with, I got them set up on Slack in the last week and they're already loving it. Um, here's the advice. Let me just, I'll share with you what I shared with them, which is this. Uh, there's a lot you can do with Slack, but to find out if it's right for you, just go sign up for that account. I mean, this is not just a sales thing. This is actually a practical thing. Just And just go get, get your handful of people on. It's not going to cost you anything. Don't worry so much about the integrations and stuff at first. Just find your feet with how you might want to use this. And, you know, yes, I mean, let's be honest, there's tons that is very productive about using this. I don't want to undercut the business value of this because the business value is very real. It's just, it's extremely fun to use. It doesn't suck to use. It takes all the best stuff of email and IRC and instant messaging, all the stuff that you like about that without any of the annoying stuff. This will not solve the global email problem. You still have to deal with other people in the world. But if there are people that you're working with or doing anything with on a regular basis, this is a great, this is a great, it's like a cross between a whiteboard and a, uh, and a, and a, the best parts of a whiteboard, a conference room and a water cooler all in one place. And anyway, I, I don't know if they'll have other future episodes, but I mean, I'd love to talk more because I really like this app. Here, here's the, when you are ready to customize, here's one great place to go. Go to the URL. So subdomain.slack.com slash customize slash slackbot. And that's where you can go oh, in yeah. <laughs> and, and make your slackbot say things. And it's really, really funny. Yeah, you can do no, stuff so that when, when you someone types in something, the slackbot will reply automatically for it. You can even set up little customized uh like waiting messages so that as you're joining, it'll display a different channel. It'll say something funny. I mean, all of this stuff that's built in, the reactions, the custom emojis that you can put in, you can have things where if you type in someone's name, it will, the Slackbot will respond with an emoji. It's great. It's just little details like that are what take it from being something that's like, this is enjoyable to use to, wow, I really like this and I prefer this to other systems, other software, definitely to email, definitely to other chat. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Th thanks a lot to, to, to Slack. I, I, I like their stuff a lot. And, uh, 
I have many, many friends who work there, and it seems like a swell company. That's all I have to say about that. Thank you to Slack. Bok, bok. Bok. Jeez Louise, Dan, where do we begin? We have so much to talk about. We could start with, uh, well, do you want to I, start by talking about your new device? You I would love that, I, but I had a new, I have a new concern uh, as follow-up, my own piece of follow-up for the iPhone 6S discussion that we had last week that I think should be concerned to all uh, smart device owners everywhere across the globe. Mm. Oh, so it's Dan's. Sorry, it's Dan's concern. It's Dan's concern. He's not alone. He's got a phone. He's got the one phone. Slant rhyme. <laughs> Dan's concern. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, have you heard the term? And I'm sure you have. Oleophobic. Oleophobic. Oleophobic would mean either fear of oil or repelling oil. Very, very good. And I think... No, I'm serious. Did you hear me typing? I'm just guessing. No, I didn't hear you typing. And that's why I said very good. Uh, Thank you. Because that's exactly what it means. It is the, um, to quote Wikipedia, the physical property the of, a, <laughs> of, of a molecule that is repelled from oil. So there is a coating on... I know it's on all iPhones for a while. I think it's probably on all smartphones. That is, it is a coating that is on the screen of these devices that that repels the oil from the human hand or whatever else you might be touching your iPhone with. It repels that oil so that you can more easily clean it. It also has a little bit of uh, just in general. I think it it makes the screens uh, more slippery and touch friendly in some way. Anyway, this is a coating. The coating wears off naturally over time. There's nothing you can do about that, but how long it lasts on your phone depends on how you use it and uh, how much you use it and lots of little details like that. But there is this coating that's put on it intentionally. Now, if you're, and I don't, I don't know much about germophobia or anything, but if you're germophobic, oh boy. you want mm. to clean your phone, right? You want to clean your phone. You want it to be clean because if you hand your phone to, uh, you know, the masses for some reason and they touch it or your kids touch it or you touch it after not having cleaned your hands for whatever bizarre reason you might have, your phone is, it becomes a carrier of germs. And people have said, well, yes, I understand that it's gross, but are you really getting sick from your phone? I say, yes, I say definitely you're getting sick from your phone. So what, what do you do? Because if you clean your phone with something like alcohol, even like isopropyl alcohol, 71%, like you get in a bottle, put it on a cotton swab, wipe the phone down. That probably will will clean the phone. We know that the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus are kind of maybe to some degree water resistant, but still the rule from Apple and everybody who knows about this stuff is do not, do not use any kind of alcohol or, or cleanser or anything on the phone. They say, wipe it down. That's the only way you need to clean it. Just wipe it, wipe it with a special cloth, but that doesn't disinfect. That just moves the germs around. We all know that. I This is the first phone I've had where I have not wiped it down with alcohol because I, I don't want to ruin the oleophobic coating. So I have intentionally not wiped this one down. You don't want to know the kind of paddles that I've been using after I've cleaned my hands, you know, like at night to to avoid touching it's not fun it's i'm not proud of it so what do you what is someone to do about this so i researched and i tweeted about this and a lot of people said either clean your phone why would i do that that's category one 
Category two, I use alcohol. No big deal. Never had a downside to it. That was me on my iPhone 5S and earlier. And then answer three is phone soap. Have you heard of phone soap? Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear about phone soap? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Phone soap. Phone soap. Is this, a, is this a bit? No. Okay. Phone soap is a, it's a device. It looks like a large kind of clamshell big enough to contain your phone. Oh my God. And you put your phone inside of this thing. And this thing uses UV light to kill the germs. The same way that they sanitize like, uh, like, uh, you know, medical instruments or whatever, what have you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So <laughs> listen, keep listening. I was You've very, got to be kidding me, Dan. How dare you? I was very oh skeptical. Of this. I was very skeptical that this would do anything. So then I watched some videos about it and there was a channel, a discovery channel uh, thing where they went and they took this to a lab and they acquired some of the kinds of germs that we won't mention because it's a family show, but they got the germs and they put them on two different phones, identical phones. And then they, uh, what they, what you do is after it's on the phone, you then press, they have these Petri dishes that you press against the phone that collects the germs from the phone. They're like sticky uh, Petri dish thing. And of course they did one to the control phone and the other phone they put inside of the uh, phone soap box. And the guy, the scientist running it uh, was very skeptical. He says, I I don't see how this is going to do anything. UV light we know kills germs, but I I don't think this is going to work. It's a gimmick. They run it through. No germs kills all the germs, all the germs Hmm. killed, all of them killed. This is real discovery channel. Other tests have proved this. So I said, you know what? I will be the, I will be the guinea pig for this because we're coming up on uh, flu season. So I will be the guinea pig for this. I will spend money and I will buy one of these things. And I did. And I got it in and I have put my phone in this thing. There's no heat or anything. It's just UV light. And I'm going to see how through this cold and flu season, uh, if I don't get the flu or not. Sounds, sounds good. You don't believe <clears throat> it. You don't believe that UV light kills germs. Or you don't believe I, that UV light could be used at home. I don't, I have no idea where to begin. Um, I'm excited uh, about that. I think this is going to be, a, yeah, I think I've turned a super. corner. Yeah. Um, thank you for your message. <laughs> that's, um, uh, well, um, that's, uh, that's something you'll, maybe you could also get a home testing kit. Uh, and then, you know, like see how well petri, it's working. Like a little Petri dish and a little Whatever oven. helps you feel better. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, that's, that's super interesting. I did not know about that. I have uh, a couple of these. Uh, I don't know where I got them. I must have got them off maybe Amazon. Those microfiber cloths. I, I'm not as concerned about the contagion issue, but I have a, a reminder in uh, OmniFocus twice a week to go around to all the devices and clean them using the microfiber. It does not remove disease, but it gets my daughter's mini, 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 mini fingerprints off of all the devices. That's what I do. I, I'm pretty sure I single-handedly ruined the screen of my, uh, my iPad Air by doing something. I don't think I ever... I don't think I ever cleaned it with anything but just a little tiny bit of water on a microfiber cloth. But something about, I guess maybe, you know how like, you know, the, the oils on your fingers, I guess, get on the keyboard yeah. and that gets slightly pressed. I've got like a crazy keyboard image on my iPad Air and it looks like corroded in areas. Granted, yeah. it's five years old right. at this point. 
But, you know, yeah, the screens, unless you turn it up pretty bright, is almost unusable. So, um, yeah, finger, 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 uh, fingerprints are real. Well, I put an article about uh, ultraviolet germicidal radiation with, you know, using UV lights and, and how that, that's something that's well known in, in medicine and science. I put that in there and, uh, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see how I fare. Yeah, this, for uh, sure. <laughs> Feels um, good. I'm not using alcohol though. It's a plus. I I can't. I just don't even know. Why would you clean your phone with alcohol? Why? Why? It kills why, the germs. Kills germs. Germs are a part of life, Dan. Well, yeah, but you don't. You know, when you're handling something, nothing was ever meant to be handled quite, quite that much. You didn't know me when I was twelve. <laughs> Can't put that. Can't put that into the UV uh, casket. No, I can't. Get a get a burn down there. <laughs> Something. No heat though. So that's there's that. Well, that's that's a downside. Yeah. Like like a little bit of warmth. <laughs> well, that's 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 good. Uh, I've added a link uh, to something called uh, Lipophobicity. Yes. Which is which is a great album by the Underworld uh, <laughs> from, from the late nineties. Yeah. Fat boy, fat boy, finger on the phone. <laughs> you are the doorway boy. You got the UV boy in the casket boy. No heat, no heat, no heat, no. God, I love that song. Do yeah. you know that song I'm talking about? No, I do. They use that in uh, in that and drug the, uh, movie. That movie, that mm-hmm. movie with the with the poop and the drugs. Mm-hmm. The with Obi Wan Kenobi, Obi Wan Kenobi, you got the baby. Yeah. Soccer, sick boy. Yeah. Uh, that's a good movie. Uh-huh. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so I have a new iPad. Should I do a sponsor or tell you about the iPad first? I, I might. I probably need to recover a little bit. Dan, could you tell me about something else you like, please? Let me tell you about Pond5. If you're producing Pond content five. online, there is no better creative resource than Pond5. They do video clips. They do motion graphics. They do music. They do sound effects. And all the stuff that they've got is created by individual human beings, artists, content creators, people all around the world. And they have one of the highest payouts in the industry. That's one of the things I really like about Pond5 is when you go there and you're looking for content and you find it, you know that that content is made by a person out there and you're supporting them with one of the highest payouts in this industry. Pond5 makes it easy to find the stuff that you need and it's a really, really great quality. They vet everything and they're offering you guys 25% off your next purchase if you use the code back to work. So the URL to go to is Pond5 and it's the number five. So P-O-N-D-5. Dot com Back to work gets you 25% off your next purchase. Just go and check out what they've got. You'd be surprised uh, the the ex- extensive catalog of stuff that they have there, all made by independent people all around the world. Thanks very much to Pond5 for supporting the show. Back to work is the code. That's it. That's the end of the spot. Thank you, Pond5. Thank you, Pond5. Fuck, fuck. And you know what? I got to get back into the spirit. You ready? Yeah. Fuck, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it in. Oh. Crowd pleaser. On time. Perhaps you would like to share with our listeners some details of your new device. I would. I had given the old one to my boy and I said, you know what? This time around, having sold some equipment really down to the wire here, I'm going to, I'm going to go full pedal to the metal all the way, full speed ahead. I'm going to do something I've never, I don't think ever done before. And that is buy a maxed out product. I almost never do that. I almost never do that. I've certainly never done it with an iOS device. So here I said, okay, I'm going to get this thing maxed out. 128 iPad Air 2 with cellular, which I've not yet activated. Gold. 
boom. Got it. Also got the case that kind of wraps around the device. And I uh, love that too. And which is the first, this is the first iPad uh, case where I've gotten the, I guess they call it the smart case as opposed to the cover. Oh, okay. I think, I guess I've got the smart cover. I've got the thing with the little three sections that folds over. Yours goes all the way. Oh, so it nests. It nests. Yes, it nests. Nice. And I've well, never that had be satis- That must be very satisfying to hold. It is, and it doesn't, it's not so much that it feels protected against, like, if I were to drop it, which I hope I never do, but it's one of the things that I found with the previous iPads that I've had before was that the, I, you know, we, I often am putting them down on surfaces and the backs are always get really, really scratched up. And I just sort of thought of that as the, you know, Millennium Falcon style thing. Like you use it, it gets scratched. Oh, well, but I thought this time I might try this other case because my kids will often grab grab the iPad away and run mm-hmm. run with it. And I thought, well, oh it, instead of the you know the cover always separating from it, this would maybe keep that on. And I asked the guy at the Apple Store about it, and he said, you know, he said people are always down on the iPad cases and covers. He said, but I feel like Apple has really done something great with the new one. And I said, well, you're just trying to sell me on it, right? And he's like, no, I don't care if you buy it or not you're buying an ipad that's good enough he said but you've got 14 15 days whatever it is to return it he says buy it and return it if you don't like it i encourage you to try it and i said all right i will and i actually really do like it for the first time like an apple case so uh but that's that's the nitty-gritty of the device itself it's the ios 9 stuff that uh, I find remarkable on this device. It's a very fast device being able to do, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but being able to do the multitasking stuff with two apps mm-hmm. running at once really changes things for me. And I'm, and, and I have made some important discoveries regarding writing code on this device uh, that I would like to talk about, but I was texting you madly over the weekend, interrupting the family time to ask you about text editors. It was, it was, it was Star, Wars, Star Wars Day at the oh, ball, yeah. ball, ball park. I was, it was, went to a Giants game and it was Star Wars Day. Ugh. We got a Chewbacca bobblehead. <laughs> well, secondly, we got three Chewbacca bobbleheads. Yeah. Chew, Chewbacca bobblehead. Well, I would love to ask you some questions and share mm-hmm. this coding discovery and app discovery. And, uh, Are you using Textastic? Yeah. So if, yeah. if from a while ago we were talking about writing, on an iPad and Vitici has a great article on this and you've talked to some length about using the iPad as a device with which to write and create everything from notes and documents to writing books and things like that. My goal is that, but I have an additional goal of being able to at least not as a primary device, but in a pinch be able to write some code. And it's part of my struggle is not doing that type of thing at home uh, you know, that, that focusing on not getting into what I call the coding rut where, you know, you start trying to solve a problem and then your mind goes into code mode and then you can't communicate with humans very easily. And I don't want to do that at home, but being able to know that I could take the iPad with me on a, on a trip while I'm traveling or have it at home and know that, oh, there's a problem. I need to fix that problem and deploy some code. Is that something that's doable from an iPad? And the answer Today, as of very recently, is yes, and I've figured out how to do it, and I may I can share that on the show. But I do want to pick your brain about editing and writing and workflows, and why why do people like drafts and editorial? What's the story on that? Why do you gosh. need both? All of that stuff. Well, yeah, my gosh, we got a lot to talk about here. Um, well, I mean, let, let's get one thing 
right out of the way, and it's a total nerdy geek out thing. How about the speed on that thing? So fast. I mean, let's just, here's the thing. It's like, <laughs> when you think about like, you know, the people talk about how, oh gosh, is the iPad going to continue to uh, thrive and prosper? Because, you know, for example, my daughter's using an iPad too. That's what she listens to Harry Potter on and plays most of her games on. And you know what? It's weirdly fine for like tons of stuff. There's tons of stuff it can't do that she doesn't need to do. Right. The thing is, um, and I'm not trying to say go out and spend like, you know, um, approaching, you know, uh, four figures on one of these things unless you need it. But I will say that it might really surprise you how fast this is. And I have to say, like, even, even including this uh, iPhone success, it's, I, I don't know, my gut is it is probably the fastest iOS device I've ever used. By, it feels like maybe twice as fast as most things I've ever used. What's your, what's your experience been? Totally. Uh, well said. I totally agree with you. It's the fastest device. And how I re- evaluate speed isn't by running Geekbench or something like that, because those numbers, I mean, they mean something, but they don't really mean anything in practical use. What means something to me is if I launch an app, how quickly does it respond? If the iPad is in off, you know, or screen is off, how quickly can I get back to the screen? How quickly can I switch between apps? How quickly does it render a web page? All of those things happen What I in, in the category I would put of like right away. They just happen. They happen very quickly. The, everything feels natural. And in a way that is very reminiscent of like System 7 uh, on the original Macs back in the day, iOS 9 and its integration with the iPad and its responsiveness on the iPad, there is this thing where you feel like you're – my friend always used to say that there was something special about a Mac and the way you moved a cursor around that somehow felt like you were the, – the connectedness between the mouse and the cursor on the screen, the resolution was higher. It just felt more like you were directly moving like around. You're directly like manipulating, interacting with it. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's ex- exactly right. Well, yeah, and here's, here's three things that I noticed even to this day, and I've had this thing for like almost a year now. Um, the first one, I've mentioned this before, but something I guess I knew that you could do but I'd never done before is when you're on a web page in Safari and you do a big pinch, like slowly do this big pinch, and it will take you to the I think the tabs view, right? So you get all like a pop up of like all all the uh, windows that are open. But you can even do that really fast and like bam! It t- I, I never had an iPad or I guess I don't think that works on the iPhone. But I'd never had an iPad where I'd never I never even attempted that before. I found it one day by accident and I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this actually happened. So try that, try that and notice how fast that snaps to the tabs view. Um, a gesture you need to enable that not a lot of people know about: um, five finger pinch. Mm-hmm. Well, which if you're in an app and you do a five finger pinch, it takes you to your home screen. Um, not as, maybe not as fast as hitting the button, but once you start using gestures, because here's two more, uh, four finger swipe. I think again, you might have to enable this, but if you're inside an app and ordinarily the way you think of changing apps, click, click on the homepage and then foot, 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 foot to go through them. Try four finger, um, uh, four finger like glide basically. So inside of an app, put four fingers on, on the screen and, and slide and it will take you to the next app. I call that, I call that the monkey hand because that seems like the way. That like a monkey might initially try to opt. It feels very weird to put four <laughs> or, fingers. Or a seven-year-old. Yeah, it's just like this my daughter's sort of... constantly changing apps accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a weird one, and you wouldn't think about. It. I just want to add when you're talking about the um, you're talking about the the pinch, the big pinch on a web page. Yeah. If you're using, I'm assuming that it's it's handoff. Uh, that's is it handoff that's doing this? Yeah. I forget. But when you do that, if you scroll up. 
underneath it, it will show you all of the devices that you have that participate right. in there. So it'll say like Dan's MacBook Air, and it'll show the web pages that you have open. Then if you have a desktop machine, and I do, it'll show those. Dan's iPhone 6S, it'll show those so that you can now share between all of your devices instantly whatever uh, thing it's open. So you actually have this kind of invisible menu that appears underneath. It's very, very cool. Oh, that is super cool. Well, and, and something I just discovered, I guess now that I've got a Mac that can do this, is that even so, I, I don't know, this feels like magic to me, but I'll be on the phone or the iPad and I'll set it down for a second and then I'll like command tab between, I'll go back to my Mac and command tab between apps and there's this new icon floating out to the left. Have you gotten this? Yeah, at the left of the dock at the bottom. That's it'll well, be at the left of the yeah the switcher. Yeah. You'll see like with the phone on it. And even though I'm using Chrome, it's handing off from Safari on the iPhone. This might have been existing for years, and I've just never had a computer. No, that could it do was this. new for me too. I discovered it last. It was around the time I put in iOS nine, but it was before I put on iOS nine. I don't know what allowed it to start happening. I'm actually not that interested in how it started happening, but <laughs> it did start happening. So if I'm on, I'm on my freaking iOS device. It now just shows up. I can just grab it. There's no special gestures. There's no like lock screen stuff required. That is actually tremendous. But anyways, as far as the test stuff, try that pinch thing. If you didn't know about it, it's pretty amazing. But also then the four finger swipe to move between apps is super fast and you get better at it over time. And pretty soon going to the home button to go around, you feel kind of like an animal doing that. But the final one, uh, and this is a new feature uh, in iOS 9 for iPad and the 6S and 6S Plus is the editing that you can do by swiping on the keyboard. Have you played with that? Oh, yeah. Talk about that. I mean, have you done it? It's, yeah. I mean, you kind of got to use it to get the magic. I mean, here's the weird part. It's fantastic on the iPad, but it's even better on the iPhone. It's crazy. But now you have the ability, and now it seems like we're jumping around, but I'm just saying these are the kinds of things that this firepower lets you do. If you're inside anything where you're editing and you've got the keyboard up, um, two-finger swipe, to the side on the keyboard and iPad now turns uh, you basically get your cursor I don't know what is the name for what this is in what do they call it in in, um, in TextMate there's a name for it like freestyle or free editing mode oh yeah you can basically move your cursor once you've you've swiped on the keyboard with two fingers your cursor turns into this live thing flying around on the screen you can now position that cursor anywhere uh go go learn more about this there's gestures for selecting there's gestures for i think there's gestures for moving and it's even easier to use on the iphone which is crazy but you know these are the kinds of things where like this is why i say paradigmatically different there's some things that have happened in the last two weeks where i already feel myself using all this stuff so differently. But anyway, I just want to get that out of the way. You feel you feel the difference in speed, though. You know what I'm talking about oh, I now. know exactly what you're talking about. And all of these little, little enhancements that they've made, even something that, you know, when I, for so long, we've talked about side-by-side apps, and it's been rumored forever, like, will it be on the iPad? Will it just be on the Pro? When are we going to get this kind of functionality? And an example of when this is really, I think, really comes in handy would be, Let's say that you're writing, you're writing a, a little post or writing an article or something like that. You might have Instapaper open up on the right side, and then on the left side, there's the document that you're working in that you're taking, and you can grab the links from one to the other. And little things like that, or if you're really into Twitter, you can have Twitter, you know, Tweetbot running because uh, Tweetbot Four is amazing. You can yeah, have that running in the little side panel while you're browsing the web. I mean, all of this kind of integration and the way that apps are already supporting this stuff with the side-by-side uh, multitasking on an iPad, it's done in an elegant way. And I feel 
like very much in the way that we waited and waited and waited with for cut and paste to show up on iOS. And finally it was there and it was implemented better than anything else that we'd ever seen. It it worked much better and it's still, I think the best cut and paste on a mobile device. Well, all of a sudden now you see the side by side and the way that they've implemented it makes a whole lot of sense too. Like I was watching uh Tom Warner cable has this abysmal Tom Warner cable app that, you know, like I would really like to get to the point where that thing would behave very, very well and let me watch uh, and on the side of the screen, like watch a football game while I'm doing something else on the iPad where it, it, it kind of works. It works sometimes, but like we're getting there. We're getting really close, you know, and we're almost mm-hmm. there to have that. And all of this is working just so well. The integration between devices and apps and we're we're finally, I think, and it seems weird to say this because. I feel like we've kind of felt like iOS was mature, but these are those things, the features that really make it feel like a mature integrated system where hardware mm-hmm. and software are playing perfectly together. Multiple devices are are integrated in a way that really, really makes sense. And all of this stuff just comes together to have a device that I no longer think of as an iPad or a computer as much as like a, a a companion device that allows me to do pretty much everything on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to you know, kind of underscore our theme from last week, um, it also just makes you feel good as an Apple fan that it may not be the 1.0 of uh, the iOS, obviously, but the the 1.0 of these features on this device, the iPad Air two, is it works astonishingly well. Yeah. If you know, there's so many things about this that could be you could imagine being really crashy or inconsistent. As long as the apps support these things, and there are some things where you've got to, you know, your app has to be able to support the split screen and stuff like that. But they really, they do really work well, and it's it kind of has rejuvenated. Not like it was flagging that much, but it makes me now want to go explore what I can do more. Whereas you know, for the last couple of years, it's been a lot of like, gosh, I hope this doesn't break. But it, it is very exciting, and it, and it is really fast. And and like I say, it, it is already very quickly starting to change how I use a lot of this stuff. Totally is, and I like I'm trying intentionally to bottle my enthusiasm a little bit because I don't want to cross over into pure fanboy space. But I really want to just underscore how pleasant and fun it is to use this device. I feel like it just works in the way that Apple's promise has always been for things to just work. Uh, and I'm really like really enjoying it. Like I'm looking, I look forward to find a reason to use the iPad and there are lots of reasons to use it, but I look forward to thinking, Oh, I, I can do that now on the, you know what I mean? Like the excitement yeah. that you had when you first got an iPhone, like I can take a picture with it and I can send the picture to I want to use this. I'll bring this, you know, it's that feeling now, and that's something yeah. I was very positive about, and the promise has been delivered on. And, and this obviously, you know, just again to underscore what you're saying, I don't mean this as a sales job because it's a very costly device. What I will say is if your notion of what an iPad is and what an iPad can do is based on an iPad model that's, you know, a couple years old, um, go play with somebody's. Like, just give it a give it a throw. Play with it, you know, in the Apple Store. Uh, I'm not saying everybody needs this. Uh, I'm saying you might be surprised that it's come along further than you expected. Because again, we, we, it helps us to follow Apple's lead, not just in terms of what we buy, but in learning what their metaphors for interaction are or what their methods for interaction are. Because you know, the, the earlier you pick up on how, where they're going, 
uh, to, as John would say, to uh, pick up what they're repping. Um, like the sooner you're going to be able to make good productive use of the evolving landscape of apps and right. functionalities. Right. So I got lots here. Did you want to talk about Textastic in particular or, or stuff around being able to edit your programming files? I would. And that's something that has always been a little bit of a challenge. I mean, Again, I'm not looking to the iPad to replace a computer. And for a little bit of background, when I talk about coding, for me, that means Ruby on Rails most of the time. Most, mostly that's what I code in. And to code for Ruby on Rails, you need to have a true development environment. And what this frequently means is that behind the scenes on your computer, Mac, PC, Linux, whatever it is that you're using to code in, all of those support running, you, you know, these days it's PostgreSQL or MySQL is the database engine behind the scenes. You've got uh, Rails running. You usually have like, uh, you know, RBENV or RBENV, however you want to call it, something like that that controls your different versions of Ruby that are installed so you can change the version of Ruby based on different projects, different versions of Rails, managing gems, installing those. There's a lot that goes into behind the scenes before you're even launching uh, Subtle or TextMate or whatever your editor of choice is, Adam, and starting to write code. All of that's there so that you can then write your Rails app, have the Rails app run, and then look at it in a browser. So that's something that I don't want to say is never going to happen on an iOS device. Who knows? It could. We have Python, you know, Python and stuff that running on on iPads now that we can uh, we can write code in. So this is something I, I suppose could happen. That's not the kind of development that I'm trying to do on an iPad. The kind of development that I'm trying to do is if I have access to the code that I've written, which is typically stored in Git, usually on GitHub or somewhere like that, be able to pull those files down and maybe make a quick change. Something that, yes, if I was an excellent developer, I would always test all of my code before I ever deploy it into the wild. But the reality of it is sometimes... There's just a little bug and you can get in and fix it or a quick little thing you want to do to update something and deploy the code that you might need to do. That's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about or even just the ability to go and hack on something that's not deployed anywhere. But you know what? I just want to write some code and I'll test it on Monday when I get into work or I'll try running it on Monday when I get into work. But I just want to get this solution that I've been struggling with that I figured out. You know, at 9 p.m. on uh, Sunday night, I don't want to wait till tomorrow to just type it out and commit it and let someone look at it or get it into the system. That's the kind of coding that I'm talking about. And that's certainly something that we haven't really been able to easily do. We have wonderful editors like Coda, which would handle like committing and pushing code, but they don't commit and push it to the way in the, in the way that I needed. You might be able to SFTP it up somewhere, but that's not... That's not how we work. We, we want to commit our code. So there, are, there were two apps that I found out about that I researched about that make this possible. The first one is Textastic. This has been around for a while. Textastic is a text editor that's a lot like a TextMate type editor. It's designed for code. It understands lots of different languages, whether it's Ruby or Ruby on Rails or HTML or PHP, Java, C. It gets all of those, and it does really nice syntax highlighting, and it has themes that will be very familiar to you if you've used TextMate. So it's wonderful in that regard. And that's been around. That's been around for a while. And it's a great text editor for that purpose. But the missing piece for me was an app called Working Copy. Working hmm. Copy, it allows you to, uh, it is essentially a Git client 
that allows you to clone a repository and you can then uh, review it, look at diffs, all the stuff that you'd want to do with a nice Git client visually. But there's something else that it lets you do that I wasn't aware of and I don't know how long it's been out doing this, but you can make commits and push code back up to the repository, which is nice. Working copy plays very nicely with Textastic so that you can clone your repository and then open those files in Textastic because Textastic is aware of working copy. So if you have a repository checked out, open it in Textastic, you can make changes, you can write code, you can create new files, all of that stuff, and then commit those changes and push them back up to your Git repository. Jeez, I'm just watching the little HTML5, I guess, whatever this video is, on yeah. their page, and it looks bananas. It just You just go back and forth, and you just make your changes, and you're good to go. Right. and because, this, is, I, this is unbelievable. You wouldn't even imagine this two or three years ago. No way. It's amazing. And what's great about it is you can... You Textastic remembers those recent files, so you can just open them and go back and forth between them and then commit the changes, put your commit message in, deploy it. You can have multiple remotes, which would mean something to most uh, Rails developers and GitHub users. One of the remotes can be, for example, Heroku. So here's something interesting. Uh, a lot of us host and run our apps, our Rails apps on Heroku. So I thought, wait a minute. Shouldn't I be able to set up a Git remote to Heroku and push? Because that's how you deploy stuff to Heroku is with a Git push. And I made a test Rails app and I pushed it to Heroku and it deployed on Heroku all from my iPad. So what this actually means is if you have a Heroku hosted app, you could in theory go and make some changes to your app and commit them and push them right up to Heroku all from an iPad. And that's kind of magical uh, for Rails developers who are listening to this. It's kind of amazing. So we're at a place now that's really unique and really different uh, from where we were, I think, even just the last time that I was seriously considering using an iPad. So that's a long-winded way of saying this could be a potential workflow for Rails developers who want to build something maybe not from scratch, but who want to just go in and write some code and are comfortable pushing it that way. This is just something that's miraculous to me from this kind of device. And it gets to that idea that, you know, it, it's when we get too reductive about what replaces what or what we use instead of this for that. Well, again, it's like, you know, just because I have a suitcase doesn't mean I throw out my wallet. In this case, you, the kinds of things you need to do, well, that tool now exists. You don't need to be on the Mac to do this thing. You don't need the power of the Mac in order to do that. Does that mean you won't use your Mac anymore? No, that's not what it means. But this enables you to do the things that it can do and will do uh, in a place that's convenient and fast and easy for you, which, yeah. is, which is a huge, that's a huge change. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I don't anticipate that I'm going to be spending hours a day writing code from the iPad, but it's possible to write and deploy code from an iPad. That was not possible before. So I, I think that's a big thing, but that's only part of it. The other part of it, of course, is you've been using your iPad forever for writing and you have these different tools. And so whenever I research like best uh, editor for iPad, you know, it's usually you, you see editorial listed and you also see drafts and both of these come up, but it's, they seem very different. And I wanted to get your take because I know this is like you're a power user in this regard, especially. And and so te teach me what what should I be doing here? Oh, sure. I mean, I have my own, my own opinions about this, but um, I think I think that 
when you're again, let's let's think about it in terms of like what are the constraints and benefits of the of the environment that you're in. Well, you know, the truth is that there's lots that I can do on my Mac very quickly and with a lot of power. Uh, I use NVALT as my main sort of text editor. I use NVALT and TextMate One of all things uh, with my notes synced via Dropbox. Forgive me if you've heard this a thousand times. Um, but the way that I use drafts and editorial on iOS uh, has become, you know, fairly mature for me. I, there's not like a million different things I use it for. I mean, there is in the sense that I could write about anything. But my basic workflow is like, how can I describe this? Um, boy, I feel like I've talked about this so much. I apologize if this is a rerun. Drafts is a wonderful app for iOS that it's very simple looking. You open it up. And you get what you know, what you might call a text area. You open it up, and there's a place where you can obviously type. There's a keyboard. You start typing. That is actually kind of the revolution of drafts. Is that it's very, it's takes you know very little, and with 3D touch, boy, you talk about fast. But now the idea is you open drafts, and if you haven't opened drafts in a few minutes, you open it up. The first thing you see is a blank page. You start typing. Now the beauty of drafts is that after you've typed something, there are so many different things that you can do with it. I'll tell you like three, although there are dozens probably. Um, you Basically, you can install these little workflows or scripts or whatever they're called that enable you to do stuff with what you just typed in. So a really obvious one would be you open up drafts and you start typing. And you uh, like, like let's say you want to do that to compose an iMessage. Well, you start typing and you go, oh, okay, I've typed my iMessage. You click a button and it sends it to iMessages unless you send it to somebody. If you decided it should be an email, in my case, it takes whatever the top line in drafts is, uses that as a subject of the email, and everything after that as the body of the email. Um, the one that I use a huge amount of the time is I start typing whatever, and then I click on the little action button, and I say save this to Dropbox. And to, boom, I'm done. So if there's just some snippet of something I want to capture, I don't need to do anything about it right now, but I want to capture it for later, I can just say, you know, snippet of text, hit that button. And what that button does is it just, I, I think it's as simple as it takes the top line of whatever is in there and adds a Unix-style date timestamp to it and then saves that to my shared text files folder, my synced te- uh, text files folder on Dropbox. So why would I do that? Well, because I don't use drafts. I use drafts to do drafts. I use drafts to any ephemeral bit of text for me starts in drafts. And so, I mean, I described this on a, podcast recently, but what's great about drafts is you open it up and whatever's on your mind pours into this app. Now, there's the, a lot of people would say, well, why wouldn't you just go to iMessages to type this? Or why wouldn't you go just write to OmniFocus to type this? Or why wouldn't you go right to your email app? Well, I don't have to do that anymore. Now I know there's exactly one thing I always click whenever I'm about to make text. And yes, I, there are times if I'm just sending like my first iMessage to somebody and it's in a thread, we'll often start in drafts. That's crazy. Why, why not just go type it? Uh, first of all, I don't trust text areas in yeah. general. Yeah. I don't trust web pages. And I would rather be in the environment I'm comfortable with, which is just this app that can go anywhere and is suited to going anywhere. But here's the kind of uh, cognitive shift. If you start making yourself use drafts as the place where text begins, something very special happens, which is you stop thinking in terms of writing needing to happen in a certain app. So what does that mean? Uh, I know I need to tell my wife, so let's say I need to tell Dan something. Okay. So normally I'd go to iMessages and go, emoji. (laughs) But no, I go to drafts and I start typing something. And I realize, wow, this is kind of a long thing to be in iMessages. Maybe this should be an email. Well, guess what? Now I can send that to iMessages or I can send it to email from there. What if I type a little more and I go, you know what? This actually would be better as a blog post. Just link down to it. Okay, guess what? I can now save that 
uh, to Dropbox and be able to go edit it at length somewhere else. I could send that to OmniFocus. I could send that to Reminders. I could send that to Fantastical. Yes, it has a natural language ability built in. Any of those options are all yours. You no longer have to start you no longer have to think in terms of what app do I go to. You just say, what do I have to say? And then decide where it goes after that. And that's really powerful. And, you know, again, now with iOS 9 and the iPhone 6S, gosh, one of my, all, my totally favorite new 3D Touch things, 3D Touch on, um, on drafts, which is on my home screen. And one of the options is new. So you just go create, create a new, like you go straight to that. But you know what's even better? New from Clipboard. So let's say I go grab something from Safari or from wherever. I can hit new from clipboard and it'll create a new draft uh, document with the contents of my clipboard in it. And then if you add to that the power of stuff like, my God, the drafts uh, extension is fantastic. With the drafts extension, you can go in and basically create a template so that, for example, if you're on a web page, it will automatically make a markdown link at the top of the page with whatever you got quoted in it. And that saves as a drafts. And then drafts can sync. So what does it use for sync? I think it uses iCloud. I don't even know. Um, but you can sync your drafts. I don't, I don't worry too much about that. I have drafts set to automatically save and to basically create a new note if I haven't edited that note within five minutes. It's really, it's almost like a, like a community college version of a clip, clipboard. Like it's a smart clipboard in some ways. So that's how I use drafts. Does that make sense? No, it really does. Fast to get in and it goes anywhere. It totally does. And so when you've created these and so when you talk about the syncing and things like that, like does it play is part of the reason why you're using it because it plays so nicely with like an NV alt and you could start something there and then pick it up somewhere else because there really isn't like a drafts equivalent on Mac. Is there all these, all these apps that I use must have two things in common. Um, number one, they have to be all about text, either, you know, plain text or plain text as markdown, because that's how I do everything. So they all have to be text editors. They've got to do things with text and they've got to understand and, you know, be conversant in doing things with links and markdown and what I would call functional writing. The big, big, big second thing is it has to work well with Dropbox. So it has to have the ability to know that when you go to slash this slash that, that is where I store my text files and that gets synced with NVAlt. Via Dropbox, it could sync with NVL uh, editorial. I can use any app I want. It's just dumb text files. It's the simplest thing in the world. It's just a text file. You, it's pretty hard to break a text file title, um, and then that just gets synced <laughs> everywhere. Which means, and so just to clarify though, like when I sync my drafts documents, I'm keeping they're in a separate environment from where I put like more long term text files because I don't need like every single little scrap of text I ever type to be there. What is neat, though, is you can sync drafts so that you begin here, and if you pick it up on your other iOS device, all your other drafts will be in there as well. You could do all of that in one place. For most people with fewer than 100 notes, that's probably going to be more than fine. But the beauty part then is that, like I say, once I've saved it with drafts to where it needs to go, whether that's an iMessage, you know, email, whatever, I can get back to what I'm doing. And if I ever need to go back, I go back to drafts. It's fast. It's easy. But in this case, it's put into a Dropbox folder, which means now if I need to do anything more you can do a lot with drafts. Let me just say, I'm not trying to sell it short. You can do tons with drafts. It's just that editorial is so improbably powerful and scriptable and Pythonable that I end up doing any iOS text editing I have to do at length. I'll just pop over to editorial and do it all there. But I do, I do use them both. Which one is it? Which one's your favorite? Well, that's crazy. That's like saying, would you, would you, would you only ever want to use a fork or a knife? Well, they're different. Right. Like I use drafts and editorial for different reasons. And so I use when, them together. Oh, oh, okay, so when would you say to yourself, I'm going to now be working 
with editorial because I get the whole drafts thing. I get that everything, everything that involves text and typing starts in drafts. And from there, so like, for example, you might want to put down your kid's uh, shirt and pants size so that you wouldn't forget when you're out at Target and you say, oh, right, she needs a new T-shirt. I got to grab her this cool one with the Star Wars thing on it. What's her size again? Because oh, it changes some. Oh, right. I have it here. In the, and so you could look that up. You might also say, here is a list of things that I need to get done today. Would that be in a to-do app or would you put that into drafts also? Uh, well, here's the, I'd say over 90% of the time it comes down to this. So if you imagine the flowchart, is this something that has anything to do with typing? <laughs> no. Okay. Go somewhere else. If it involves typing, um, if it involves typing something new from scratch drafts, if it involves typing or if you like editing, adding to doing stuff with an existing file editorial. So that's why I'll very quickly create things with drafts, draft and then hop over to editorial to do the editing on it. And I mean, it would be two shows just to talk about what you can do with editorial. But yeah. suffice it to say that it's, it, it's a very robust text editor that's highly scriptable. It, it's, I think it's from the same people who do Pythonista. Like it's running Python inside of it. And I think, I want to say Federico Vitici has written a lot about editorial. It's got a built-in preview mode. It's got a research mode. It's got a built-in browser. You can go do just all of this stuff. And so, I mean, the workflow of that is like, on the one hand, it's extremely simple. It's all just a bunch of characters. I could do that on NVL. I could do that on TextMate. I could do that in editorial. I could do it on drafts. But I have a very, um, I mean, it's in my bones. I have a very clear understanding of where it would be best to go work on this. If I'm working on something that's a very long document with markdown reference links and all this kind of stuff, you know, I had my druthers. I, yeah, I'd rather just go do that on the Mac. Mm -hmm. If it's something where I just need to go in and add an extra bullet to follow up for this week's back to work, I'll just open editorial and do it there. And also I want to note in passing, because I don't want to sell drafts short. I don't think I've sold it short. You can also append and prepend using drafts like you would. So if you have something like a running file of like, like right now my kid's got a birthday coming up. I, I actually tend to do this more in notes nowadays because notes is so great for this. But I will frequently just say, you know, add a new line to this thing. Here's a new item to add to that. Um, not, not to derail it here, but like with like now what I'll do is if I'm on a page looking at something on Amazon, I just go to the uppy arrow, go to extensions, hit notes, and then add that to this running file. And it creates a like a rich text URL card inside of this running list of birthday gift ideas. So that's how I do that. But I mean, everybody arrives at their own idea for how these things. This is really long, Dan. This no, is I, you, yeah, this is, is what the I want to know. Clearer, though? Yeah, yeah, I think it is because it's whenever I do, you know, like if you go to these sites that suggest like this is our pick for best editor on iOS, it's very frequently editorial that gets listed there. And then when I talk to people who are what I would put in the power user space, and you're, you're definitely one of those, they say, well, drafts, because it lets me compose something and then send it to all of these different places. And as I've been focusing more on using, you know, using the iPad as like a primary device, which has just been so rewarding so far, I'm still trying to learn the mindset, I guess, to to jump into that as a starting point, like have an app that, well, there's text involved, start here, and then later worry about what it is that I want to do with that or where I want to send that or what I want to turn that into. And this, so this does, what, the way you've kind of framed it really does help me understand that. And now I, I'm kind of getting, even though we've talked about it before, I think I can finally say that I get how people, including you, are using 
draft. So it's and there's the the new version is the one that really seems to do this better than than ever before, right? The, I mean, the I I don't have the list in front of me, but the the big one and this one is is the 3D touch functionality. Yeah. So <clears throat> when you click on drafts now, you get take me to the inbox like mm-hmm. where all my drafts are, mm-hmm. new from clipboard or just new draft. So new empty draft. Now, now the missing piece of this that's going to be confusing if you don't know what all this gibberish means is that you, what are they called? Actions? I want to say actions. But there's a whole bunch of these actions you can go and just download and just put them right on your device. And then you do things like you'll tweak, like if you have your notes on Dropbox somewhere, you'll need to tell it where that goes. Right. Uh, if you want it somewhere other than like, I guess probably slash apps. But it's, you know, don't feel like you have to learn all of this stuff. Just start with a few things. But I mean, I would start with, you know, um, I, there's some that are, I think are already built in. I have, it's been so long since I started using it. You know, but stuff like send this to iMessage, send this to Fantastical, you know, and so forth. Try some of those. But yeah, editorial, like I say, that could be its own show. But, you know, editorial, again, it's the, it's kind of the apotheosis of a lot of things happening in text editors on iOS over the years. Uh, and, and again, in this recent interview I did with somebody, I was talking about how I used to use three or four different text editors. I used one for doing, like, because it was the only one that did a lot of the sophisticated stuff that I wanted. Um, I used another one because it was fast to create new items. And I used a third just for finding things. Because there was one that sucked except for its ability to handle a large number of files. So how's this for a workflow? To find what I was working on before, I would go to the app where you could find it, make a small change to the document I wanted, and then go back to the other app I was using, which would now have the document at the top of the list. That's how janky this stuff used to be. Man. And now, now, uh, God, we got to go soon. Editorial can now search, I think, across your whole Dropbox. Like it's it's pretty bananas. See, did you want to tell? Do, did you have one more thing to tell me about? Oh yeah, I do. Let me tell you about FreshBooks. Uh, this is this is what FreshBooks is really good at. It is really good at handling the entire process and workflow of uh, sending and managing invoices. That's what they do. So yes, you could go into FreshBooks.com, log in and generate an invoice. That's the easy part. That's the straightforward part. But when you really look at this, you can, you can realize how much time it will save you in your life because you don't have to spend that time before processing the invoices and sending them out and then following up with your clients and have they opened the invoice? Have they read it? Are they going to pay it? All of this stuff can be handled right inside of FreshBooks. That's what they do. They make it super simple to do your cloud accounting. That's what they've done for thousands of freelancers just like you. They have built the tools that save you time and get you paid faster. And it's incredibly easy. I'm not like a an accounting numbers kind of a person. I don't enjoy that in any way, shape, or form. FreshBooks makes it so that I don't even have to think about it at all. You can customize the invoice and put your logo on it. You can make, you pick the template that they use. And when it goes to the customer, it's this thing that just looks perfect. And then they go into FreshBooks. And as soon as they open the invoice, you know that they've opened the invoice. You can get notified. You can see when they last looked at it. It's wonderful in that sense. And it also helps them, your clients, keep things organized. One of the things that we always get here whenever we're sending an invoice is like, your point of contact is usually like the marketing person. So they want to get a copy of the invoice to make sure that it's right. But that's not who's going to pay it. The accounting department is that's who's going to pay it. Maybe there's even two people in the accounting department that need to see it. FreshBooks makes all this stuff just super easy. When you're setting up a new client, you say, send the invoice to these three people at these different email addresses every time you generate one. And then you can see when each one of them has opened it and read it. Little things like that, super easy. Love this company, and they're, they have a special thing set up so that you guys can try it free for 30 days. FreshBooks.com slash back to work 
is the URL to go to and type in back to work when there's a little section when you're signing up. How did you hear about us? That supports the show. It gets you three, 30 days for free. And they sure are a wonderful company. Uh, really, really great service. Wonderful support. If you have any questions, go check them out. Freshbooks.com slash back to work. Thanks very much. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we got to be out in eight, right? Yeah. So it sounds like drafts. We got a lot to talk about here, Dan. I know. It we sounds might like have to go for an epic third episode on this. All right. Well, because I, I still, I've still got, I've got so much to say just about Siri at this point. Yeah. Even since last Tuesday, uh, the contextual reminders, man, I am using this all the time now. Well, let me, let me just run, since we are down to the wire. Yeah. Time wise, let me just run through a kind of a lightning round with you. Okay. Of apps that you're using as somebody who has experimented with so many apps and Yes, I think that you have become a power user in the areas that I'm going to ask you about, about Thank here. You. As Thank far you, Dan. as recommendations, what is your... Is it just, just apps or can it be other just technological pieces? Just things I can install and run on an iOS device. Hmm. And See, the, the, main one, hmm. the main one is I want to hit you with this calendar. Yeah. Calendar. What are you using? Um, the main one I use still is Calendars 5. Okay. By Riedel, which I still like a lot. But, you know, with that said, again, everything's synced. I really, I like the travel time thing um, inside. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's going to get more interesting, the, the built-in calendars app. No, but I like Calendars 5. I like Fantastical on OS ten. It's kind of weird. Uh, oh, have you noticed Fantastical doesn't seem to run headless, the new version? Like, you have to keep the app open. Oh, then I have not weird. noticed that. Yeah, that, that troubles me. What about Sunrise? No, yeah, I've used it. It's good. Uh, I haven't used it in a while. But I, I, I do like it. I remember liking it. To do app. It what app do I use for to do's? Yeah. Oh, um, I use OmniFocus for kind of medium. I use it for medium. Uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Help me. Like uh, mid, medium term, like, you know, things I'm doing in the next few days. Okay. To the next few weeks. Okay. Especially if it has a dedicated project or is an ongoing maintenance project. Absolutely. OmniFocus. Um, for stuff that I'm working on today, uh, I use a notebook or I use, um, uh, God, what's it called? Ta- Taskmator? Task, pa- it's the, it's task the, paper. Task paper. Well, there's task paper and there's taskmator. Oh, I don't know that one. That's the one from Cars 2. No, task paper. <laughs> uh, no, taskmator. I use taskmator, which is an updated version of, of task paper. I use that for just little quick stuff. But I use the task paper format because that just makes a lot of sense to me. Like, here's the stuff I need to do before I go to sleep tonight. Here's all that stuff. Um, I try not to burden Omni. I let OmniFocus be the bot that runs all the parts of my life I hate thinking about. So like reminding me to take out trash, bring in cans, go to store, stuff like that. But no, I like. I actually like task paper a lot. I, I just got the new, um, Jesse recently put out a new version of Folding Text, a very interesting app to watch from Hog Bay. But no, that's mine. What's yours for task stuff? Well, I've been trying out a couple of them. On iOS for the iPhone, I've been using Clear, which everybody talks about as being great. I have been using it for about a week, every day, all day, and I'm still, I still don't find the gestures that they suggest to be that intuitive, like pulling yeah. down to add a list item. That's not any way shape or form consistent with any other experience on ios to to add something pulling down is refresh it's never add pulling down longer is what takes you up to your other lists 
that also feels foreign to me. People love this. They all think that it's wonderful. I've been trying really hard to get into that because I like a lot of the other things that uh, that it, it does. I've also tried Todoist, of course, Wonderlist, which uh, my friend uh, Duncan works for them, and they're now Microsoft. And and it integrates. What? They're, they belong to Microsoft now? Wonderlist was bought by Microsoft, right? Huh. Also integrates with Slack. Yeah, and that's another reason to like it. Also, the fact that there is uh, a Mac version of some or all of these apps is the thing that, that I think is important because I want to be able to see it on the Mac when I'm there. I don't like the Reminders app in iOS very much. So oh, I, man. I love it so much. Do you? Oh, it's... Remind me about this page tomorrow morning. Remind me about this podcast next week. It's it's unbelievable. Anything that you're on in an I'll Apple try app, I'll try, try it more. I just, just try try going to a web page in Safari all right. and say, "Remind me about this page when I arrive at the office tomorrow." Okay, it's really cool. I'll try. But you, but you know, do 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 you e do is still around? Do you, is that your go to? I no, I'm just not not having one. I just don't have one. And so I'll, reminders also. I mean, there's ways to hack on reminders that are great. Like I've hacked the the Amazon Echo. To be able to send things to reminders with IFTTT. Oh wow! Also, of course, there's always the one where I could say, you know, Hoy Telephone, add, um, you know, add buy soup to my task list, and that adds it to a reminders list that then syncs up with OmniFocus. So you basically have OmniFocus for Siri, for OmniFocus's inbox anyway. But yeah, yeah, you you think it's ugly? Well, I mean, I I should probably give it more of, of a shot on iOS nine. We we gotta go. Yeah. Don't we? Can yeah. can I can I give one piece of um provisional homework? Oh yeah. To people? Uh, one thing I really want y'all to try, if you've got an iPhone um, in particular, uh, here's the general pattern is I want you to try using Siri more. Use Siri about twice as much as you've ever used it before, just for fun. Without thinking about it too much, start using Siri. If you're about to go unlock your phone and go to Safari to search for something, instead say Google. Say, say, you know, Ahoy Telephone, uh, Google Back to Work podcast. Just start trying that. First of all, you will get the benefit of the crazy thing where it's listening before you hit the button. This is magic. But if you want one piece of homework to try, just try this one piece of homework this week. Every time it occurs to you that you need to go to your phone and you, your iPhone 6S or 6S Plus and you want to open an app, instead say, you know, hold on the button and say, open deliveries, open calendar. Open Safari. Open Reminders. Try it. Because this used to be like a like a parlor trick, and it is now the fastest way to open an app. You don't have to type anything. Just say open and then the name of the app. Just try this over the next week and see if you don't notice a difference in how you work. Like at what point do you think that will that, that will shift to become the primary way that we do stuff, launch stuff just by talking? I don't, I'm, I'm notoriously terrible at these futuristic guesses, but I'll tell you a couple things that have changed that I, I still, I, that I'm finding quite remarkable. One of them is, well, for example, the, the thing we talked about, we talked about this last week. Daniel Jalcut was noticing this. I think this has been conclusively proven that with the M whatever chip, Siri is listening to what you're saying even before you hit the button. So it is at least as fast as you hitting the button. It can start, it's crazy fast on a success. That's one. Like It's a no-look pass at this point. That's a sports term. Uh, the other huge piece of this, <laughs> it's really getting better at picking up without having to go, you know, Ahoy, telephone! 
please do this thing for me. You can be practically whisper to your phone. It's getting better at picking that up. It's so solid. But all the stuff that used to be a thing you'd fuss and worry about, you don't need to worry. You have a fast little computer in your hand that, that can listen to your voice. How, when will that happen? I don't know. I'm super interested in what happens with the Apple TV. Oh, huge follow-up. I misspoke last week. I didn't pre-order an Apple TV. Bad on me. Sorry about that. My, I misspoke. Um, but in this case, I don't know. I think it may be sooner than we expect. And I think part of it will come from being able to listen even when we haven't started talking yet. I think it'll get better as you have, what, like control words or meta words or safe words where you could have a name for your Siri or you feel more secure with it. You know, my voice is my passport kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know. I still have, I know this is probably really boring, especially if you're not into this stuff, but I still have so much more to say. Oh my God. Things like Apple Pay. Oh. So many crazy things. Oh, and by the way, but, I, I, I wanted to share with you and find out if you are experiencing this bug also. Uh, I, I, we, we could talk a lot more. I do need to run. But if you launch Wallet, do you have the Zoom bug in Wallet? I, I had it where, where you, you see like just the center of the card and the ends are cut off. Yeah. Yeah, I did have that. I did have that. Well, yeah. What happened? How did you fix it? Uh, I don't know. It just it seems to have gone away. I'll, t- I'll tell you one weird thing. Apple Pay's been around for like a year, right? Yeah. Um, on two occasions at our Walgreens, I have been the first person that has ever used Apple Pay. <laughs> In San Francisco, no less. <laughs> Fancy San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, right. Why are you waving your phone around by the cash register? <laughs> Did you notice the M&Ms are on sale? <laughs> Dunk-a-dunk-a-dunk-dunk-dunk. Well, we got to button this up, Dan. All right. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man.